0: All right, we are, this is part six of my study of the parables, which I will do for the entire season. Uh, And so this parable I have uh, entitled Understanding the Economy of God. Understanding the Economy of God. uh, And it's really about the study of a vineyard and the owner of a vineyard and how he ran that vineyard. And Jesus really gives us this to poignantly outline how God's mercy works, how salvation works, how different it is uh, as contrasted to the way we might think of it. Uh, and, And so, if you understand how God's economy of salvation works, all you have to do is look at the differentiation and juxtaposition between the thief on the cross and Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot spends three full years walking with Jesus. He's there seeing him every single day, all the hours of the day. He watches him. He sees how he lives. He sees his sermons. uh, And we see that. And yet, despite all that, despite spending three years with the Savior, despite all that, uh, he, he will betray Jesus. Uh, He will betray Jesus, and we know that his life ends in a horrible uh, suicide. Now, you contrast this, you see, to the thief on the cross. And he wasn't, you know, in many churches, we used to preach about him as the good thief, right? You've heard that. He was the good thief. Well, let me break it to you. He was no good thief. He was uh, affiliated with Barabbas. He was involved... Uh, in murder and mayhem and insurrection. Uh, And in fact, he blasphemed Jesus even when he was first put up on the cross. But as he had a chance to reflect on the life of Christ and see the way Jesus was responding to these taunts and the suffering, he knew right away that there was something incredibly different to him. Uh, And that's why, uh, effectively, he says to Jesus, Lord, well, he says to the other thief, "We we deserve what we're getting. We deserve to die, but not this man. Look at him. Lord, remember me this day in your kingdom." And Jesus says to him those famous words, "This day, this day, you shall be with me in paradise," indicating the importance of salvation, the mercy of God, how God looks to see a confession of faith, a confession of of needing the Savior, and responding. To that. And so it's so poignant to me as you see how God works. One guy spends three years with Jesus, all right, and after three years, effectively winds up uh, committing suicide and betraying the Lord. The other man, basically in a 30 second application to Christ, is given eternal life. You understand how great this is? This is the message you have to convey to people outside this room. They don't understand it. They'll never understand it in some ways. But this is what grace is about. This is what forgiveness is about. You know, Christ's words about Judas in Mark 14, verse 21, are chilling. And he says there, The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Jesus says it all. Jesus says it all. It would have been better for him had he not been born. Uh, and so you see the juxtaposition of Judas with that thief on the cross who had the change, change of heart. Uh, and so you see the, dispens- the dispensation of mercy and grace and salvation by God. This is your heavenly father. This is the economy of God in a way no human being can ever really put our arms around it. And so those people who think that heaven is a reward uh, for doing good works might protest this. I think they don't like the idea that, that it appears that the thief on the cross uh, is going to heaven because some people think, well, I've devoted my whole life to living good works and trying to be a good person, uh, and how and now God, God reaches out to this despicable person in the last minute of his life and saves him. And there are people that find this offensive, because they're not God, because they don't have the heart of God, they don't have the mercy of God, and and you know we you get certain certain words and scriptures uh, in the Bible where God speaks his own mind. If you turn to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, this is the occasion where Moses has been commanded to God to remake the Ten Commandments. You remember, he got down off the mountain the first time, he saw them dancing around a golden calf, he flipped out, he threw the the stone tablets down and smashed them. Well, he was told to go ahead, carve out some more stone, come back up on the mountain, and, and God says, and I will rewrite them. I will rewrite them with my own finger. Well, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says as as follows, and this is God speaking. And he passed in front of Moses, that's God now, um, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I want to camp out on that momentarily so you understand it. Look at how God describes himself. Uh, slow to anger. Well, you know that. Look at your own lives. Look at, look, at, look at this world. If God had been quick to anger, this world would have been wiped out a thousand years ago. But he's slow to anger. He gives mankind a time to repent, abounding in love and faithfulness. And you see that in God as he describes himself, how faithful he is to us, even when we have abandoned him uh, at times. Uh, and, and really loving us, it says there, uh, maintaining love to thousands And forgiving wickedness. He forgives wickedness constantly. When we ask for forgiveness, he does that. Rebellion and sin. That's your God. That's who God is. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And this is why Christ had to come. Because your sins remain. Even though God would forgive those sins, he only forgives them because of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so as Jesus' uh, death on the cross forgives the sins, yet the guilty remain unpunished. And, and those who do not accept Christ will be punished. That's the economy of God. That's how God works. He, he, he has to be this way. He's God. He could not possibly be perfect and holy if in any way he countenanced sin. He will not countenance sin. Um, and so you see here, and then he says punishing these children and their, and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, I don't want you to leave here thinking that there are people whose children, grand-grandchildren and great-grandchildren are being punished because of the sins of the parents. That's not what that verse means. It means that if the family continues in sin, if there is an ongoing pattern of sin that continues from the father, to the children, to the grandchildren, to the great-grandchildren, God will continue to punish. You understand? That's the nature of God. So that's how that verse needs to be read. God would never, ever punish you for something that your father did uh, if, in fact, you repudiated it. God doesn't do that. Uh, and that's why we go back always to this great verse, which I, I, this is a verse that needs to be on your refrigerator. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. And that's the nature of how God wants you to live. Yes, you're a Christian Yes, you've accepted Christ, but there, re- there also requires a daily sanctification walk. You pick up the cross. It's the day two experience of your life. Yes, you're saved in day one. Now day two to day 10,000, you walk with Christ. And as you walk with Christ, dust will come up on your feet. As Jesus washed the feet of the disciples because of this. And we need to constantly be in a state of... Of confession to God. Forgive me, Lord. Help me. Strengthen me so that I can walk with you. And so here's the essence of the importance of this parable. And that is God's mercy must never be thought of as a reward for good works. You got that? Don't ever think that the mercy of God uh, is being bestowed upon you because of your good works. Your good works are like filthy rags. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to do good works, but he wants you to do good works as if you were the hands and feet of God. You're walking for him. You're doing it for him. You're not doing it for yourself. And if you're doing it for yourself, that's the wrong motivation. That is absolutely the wrong motivation. And so if God, you see, justifies the ungodly, grace is by definition undeserved. That's what this parable is going to be about. Drilling down and teaching us what is the significance of grace. Nobody, no one has any rightful claim to God's mercy. You have no claim whatsoever to the mercy of God. It is totally dispensed by the sovereignty of God uh, uh, to those God determines need to receive it. Uh, and, And it is on that predicate, the mercy of God, the grace of God, that this parable now needs to be studied. And if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 20, uh, beginning uh, verse 15. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. It's actually Matthew 20 verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now you understand, as we study this, the landowner represents God. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now I want you to understand that a denarius would have been an outstanding rate of pay for a full worker. It was what the soldiers would have gotten. Any day laborer would not get anywhere near a denarius. He would get a fraction of this. But this landowner is so beneficent that he is giving the, the wages to day laborers as if they were fully employed as full-time workers. And so he pays them the denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, and so we started at six, now it's three hours later. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. How about that? I'll pay you whatever is right. He didn't agree on a a certain rate of pay. He already told the first group of people, I'll give you the denarius. This group of people, he just says, I'll I'll pay you whatever is right. After all, you're doing nothing. You're just hanging around. You have no opportunity to, to work. And in that culture, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. It's that simple. Uh, so they went. Uh, he went out again about noon and about three. So you get the sense every three hours he's going out again and did the very same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. Now, understand something. the day is going to come to a close at six. All right, that's it. Now he goes out at five and does it again. He asked them, why, why have you been standing here all day long? And the answer in verse seven, because no one has hired us, they answered. In other words, we have no hope. We have no place to go we have no expectation. We have nothing. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came in and each Received a denarius. I want you to understand that they worked one hour, and they got the full payment of the day, the full payment, just as he had promised the, the people that came out at six in the morning. So when those who came, who were hired first, uh, they were expected to receive more. Well, after all, I have been here since six o'clock in the morning. I know you gave, you promised me a denarius, but these guys got a denarius. Uh, I expect to receive more. Isn't that the nature of humanity? You understand? You know, that's the nature of humanity. I'm looking at what the other guy gets. Irrespective of how God is treating me. Oh, and when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They're grumbling against God himself. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. There's my case. We want more. You're not fair. And here's the first lesson. Don't ever ask God for fairness. Because if we do, this whole room will be wiped out. You understand? God, be fair to us. Really? You want fairness? I'll give you fairness. Boom. That's fairness. No, you want mercy. You understand? You want mercy. That's the nature of what we crave and what we, God promises us. And so God, you know, the landowner, answers him. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to I give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And of course, the answer is yes. It's the human spirit filled with envy and greed. Now, let me make a confession to you. And I wonder if many of you feel the same way. This parable bothered me as a kid. All right? And I'm sure I'm seeing nods across the room. This parable bothered me as a a kid. Come on, I don't get it. You mean the guy who worked all day long, he killed himself in the field, is getting paid the same amount of money as the guy who came in for one hour? What is this stuff? What kind of owner is the vineyard? This is the kind of religion I've signed up. Yeah, this is the kind of religion you signed up for, folks. It's called mercy and grace dispensed by the creator of the universe. Because if it were anything else, we would be destroyed. And this parable needs to be honed in and really resonate in your life as you understand what God does. This tells us a profound spiritual truth. Uh, and Jesus is describing how grace works, you see. This is how you can go out to people who have lived despicable lives who have done horrendous things. And you could say to them that the grace of God indicates that if they come to God, he will forget everything, irrespective of whether they've been with them their whole lives, or whether they've been with them one hour. You understand? Yeah, you can clap for that, because I believe that's important. You can clap for us. And so here the landowner represents God he represents God. Uh, And God goes out early in the morning, uh, prior to 6 a.m., prior to the 12-hour work day. And God is looking for workers. He's looking for believers. He's looking for people that want to help in the establishment of the kingdom. And so he goes out, continually looking and searching and bringing in, uh, and and, and in a a powerful way. Uh, And he goes to people who have no hope. Look, they're in the marketplace. They have no expectation of being hired. They're standing there all day long, and yet he comes out to them, and he brings them in, and he gives them way more than they should have gotten. Because that's the love of God. He has given each of us much more than we deserve. Think about your own lives. Think of what your walk with Christ has been. Think of all the blessings he's poured into your life and then say to yourself, ah, did I really deserve this? Not one of us could say that we deserved it. None of us. Because he forgets the sins of the past. Uh, and so here you, you recognize if you didn't work, you didn't eat. Effectively, you're not going to be saved, and so he dispenses it. This man, who represents God, was incredibly generous. He would pay far more than he had to pay, uh, and he would come out periodically to continue to bring more people in. Every hour he did. He went out every three hours and did it. So it's so incredible. And you know, the first group of people, he made a specific promise about the pay, but everybody after that, he just said, I'll pay you what's fair. And they recognized it. Why? They had no hope, you see. They had no hope. And so if he said he would pay me what's fair, I'll rely on that. And you see the, the graciousness of God. Uh, they were desperate. They were hungry. They had no future. Uh, and if and when he asked them why they had been standing idle all day, which I love that question, why are you standing standing around here all day? you know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, it's five o'clock. Why are you standing here? They said, because no one has hired us. We have no hope. We have no place to go. We have no future. We don't have a way to eat. And yet the landowner hired them on the spot. Uh, and says, Whatever is right, you will receive. Whatever is right, you will receive. And so you're getting a sense for the economy of God, for the extent of grace and holiness and mercy. And humanity can't get it through its thick skull that this is how God operates. Because those guys at six o'clock in the morning, who were also getting far more, far more than they deserved, were unhappy. Why? Because the guys later in the day got the same amount of money. Well, let me clue you in. This is how heaven operates. You understand? This is how heaven operates. Uh, and, and under the economy of God, those at the end of the line. The thief on the cross will also be brought into heaven, irrespective of the fact maybe you've been born in church and walked in church and lived in church, but your, your complaint is not that God is going to bring other people into heaven. Your prayer should be, thank you, Jesus, for opening up heaven to me, a sinner who doesn't deserve to come. All right? All right. I don't care who your mother and father were. I don't care if they founded the church. You understand that all of our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags. And when you understand this, when you really come to terms with this, you understand the graciousness and mercy of God, that he would bring heaven for us, and he would do this. Uh, and so you see how humanity acts, how it's so far a field from how God runs he- uh, uh, heaven. And so it's, it's so incredible as we understand this. Uh, and Jesus has used variations of this parable at other times. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 3, he indicated that there are those who are last who will be first, and those who are first who will be last. Meaning what? Meaning, well, the thief on the cross probably would be called last. Time was running out for him. And yet he came to understand the love of God. But there are some people who think they're right with God. You look at the religious elite in Jerusalem, right? Here they are spending a lifetime of religiosity, thinking that they're right, that they're serving God. In fact, they're far from God. So far from God that they would repudiate Jesus himself. Repudiate him and wind up murdering him. And so you understand really how the economy of God, God's work. Look, the lesson of this parable is simple and profound. It is a picture of the sovereignty of God. You understand that? This is the sovereignty of God. All sinners are unworthy. Whether you go out at 6 o'clock in the morning or you go out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon... This proverb speaks of all who are redeemed, all who come to faith. The dying thief received the same eternal life as Peter and John. He received it, who literally gave their lives to the Savior. They are all going to heaven. They're all in heaven. You know, there there are theologians that believe Nebuchadnezzar. How about that? Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven. Why? Why? The guy who conquered Israel, who deported uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews and destroyed Israel. How? Because he came to faith. You understand that. He came to recognize that God was the creator, that there was one God. And when we make that confession, whether it's at 6 a.m. in the morning or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, God looks at it, pours his mercy towards you, pours his grace into you, and you are saved. If you learn nothing else that I said today, that's the key. That's the message. That's what you have to deliver to a lost world. Uh, The day of work in this parable is the lifetime of a believer. It's the lifetime of a believer. Uh, And uh, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. And I believe that uh, in this message, God directs the steward to go out and dispense the pay, effectively to judge the people. I believe the steward in this story is Jesus Christ. Uh, to whom all judgment has been committed. So understand something. Their pay, their pay has nothing to do with what they deserve. Forget the word deserve. You know? It's like my dad would say, deserve. Deserve? You deserve a beating. Okay? I grew up in a tough house. All right? You deserve a beating, you know? Give me what you deserve. You don't deserve a thing, all right? You don't deserve a thing, but for the fact that the great creator of the universe has decided to bankrupt heaven, send Jesus Christ to a lost world, and to save you, whether he saves you at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3, or 5, he saved you. You understand? He saved you. All right, uh, And that is the economy of God. Now here's the point. Here is the key point. If you are a genuine believer, you receive the full benefit of God's grace like everyone else in the kingdom. When you accept Christ and you believe him and give him your life, you are now in the kingdom of God. Now, here's an important point to remember: Heaven is not a timeshare. I'll break that to you. All right, heaven's not a timeshare uh, in which God is going to dole out uh, special special properties. Okay, I know some of you are working hard; you'd like to get that waterfront view. I know that. I had uh, one of the guys here in, in this class, a lovely guy. I'll even say who it is: Alex who said to me once he had a dream that he, and Alex is a talker, he and another guy who would come regularly, an older guy, Ed Smith, he had a dream that both of them were on either side of me in heaven in a condominium. Alex on one side and Ed Smith on the other. And I looked at him and I said, uh, knocking on the door, Jesus, can I talk to you for a moment? In other words, you see, some person's view of heaven might not be the same as your view of heaven. You understand? You understand the point I'm making? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're not, God's not doling out deeds based on what you did. Okay? All right? And let's understand it. There is no timeshare in heaven. God is not dispensing your spot in heaven based on your length of service. Or the quality of your service. Forgiveness is not measured as if you're measuring somebody's height on a wall. You got that? Forgiveness is forgiveness. Whether it's 6 a.m. or 5 p.m. Forgiveness is the same. Here's the bottom line. When your life is over, it's over. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're gonna be in heaven. Along with your family who's there. Along with your friends that were there. And you're gonna spend time with the disciples. And most importantly, with Jesus and God himself. Heaven is not a reward for long service or hard work. Okay? Heaven is a reward for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Who bow on their, to their knees and ask for forgiveness. This is important a lesson. Because you know, there's all kinds of denominational untruths going out there. That people are working. Oh, they're working their way to heaven. You know, they're working their way. Look, if God puts on your heart to sell everything you go, get on a boat, go to India, and work in a only, God bless you. But don't think that because you did that, this is gonna elevate my status when I get on the other side. I want that waterfront matching. It's important to me. Well, get it out of your head because that's not how it works. Instead, we work for Christ because we are so dedicated to what he did for us. We can't possibly repay God. We are being saved irrespective of our sins, irrespective of our lives. Why would we not do whatever we could to advance the kingdom of God so that other people could come at 9 or 12 or 3 or 5. Amen? That's the job. That's your responsibility. You understand? You're not just sitting there goofing off. You're sitting there waiting for God to use you and elevate you. And so, so, you know, here's the point. Why did Jesus tell this parable? What was the context of why Jesus felt the need to, con- to give this parable. Uh, well, if you study the events before the parable uh, and the events after it, you get some insight. Uh, Jesus gave this analogy primarily for the 12 disciples because, you see, they were disturbed. Uh, they reflected on the wealthy rich man. You remember the man that came to Jesus and asked Jesus that question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he was looking for praise because he indicated that he had followed the commandments. He had lived a a spiritual life in every way. He was looking for praise from Jesus, but you're not going to get praise from Jesus because Jesus looks at the nature of your life. He knows we're all sinners. He's not going to praise you for a sinning life. He'll praise you because you've given everything you have to, to God. So Jesus saw this, Saw that he, that his, this, this was a man who thought he was right, and Jesus put his finger right on it. And that's what God does, you see? This is what God does in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I hope he, right now, even as you hear these words, that somehow in your life, God may be convicting you about this. Uh, and Jesus said to him very simply, well, uh, go and sell all your goods, give to the poor, and follow me. That's it. Let's see. Ooh oh, I can't do that. I can't sell all my goods. I'm a wealthy guy. What are you asking me to do? I can't. I got a responsibility. I've I've worked my whole life. This is mine. Me, 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 my. You see how humanity is? Standing there right next to God himself. Understanding what, what eternal life is about. It was all about me holding on, clawing on to what I have. Now, the disciples, you see, were stunned When Jesus did not encourage this man, they thought, gee, this is a great opportunity. We got a rich guy, Jesus. We need some money in this honor enterprise, right? This guy could be good. He could help us. Let's develop him. Wouldn't happen in any churches today, would it? You know, somebody coming in with a few bucks, let's develop this guy. We can promote him. We'll put him on a committee. We'll promote him. And so they asked him, Jesus, who can be saved? Wow, Jesus, you seem awfully strict. Who can be saved? Why? Because they were thinking of themselves. You understand? Each one of them was reflecting, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've walked away from families. We've walked away from businesses. We've walked away from everything. Uh, And like the rich ruler, they had effectively abandoned everything. And they were looking for assurance from Jesus that their sacrifice was not for naught. This is what prompted the parable. As Jesus is teaching them about the economy of heaven and the grace of God. And so the disciples, no thought, no doubt, no doubt, thought they were going to get special benefits, special perks. Uh, They believed they were going to inherit the kingdom of God very soon. Uh, And they all assumed that they would sit at the right hand of the Lord. And you see, this was a naive and immature spiritual perspective. Uh, that, they were, that they were thinking of. Interestingly, and this is another indication that my interpretation of this is correct, interestingly, after Christ had risen from the grave, and they were meeting as a group, and, and uh, he was preparing them for the coming of Pentecost. Of course, Jesus wouldn't be around for Pentecost, but they asked him again. They asked him again. Here's Jesus. He's up from the grave. Now they're talking to him again. Uh, And and, uh, this is in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, And they say to him then, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You understand? They still didn't get it. You're going to do it now, Jesus? You're going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel as if there was a physical kingdom That that Jesus had spoken about. uh, Because they were hoping to get their places of honor. You understand? They were hoping to get their places of honor. And Jesus had reassured all of them. uh, At the end of Matthew 19. That they would all truly be honored. He had told them that. If you have your Bibles. Look at Matthew 19. Verse 28. Speaking to them. He said Jesus said to them. Truly I tell you. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Can I get an amen? You understand? Don't worry about what you're going to get. What you're going to get is a thousand times more than anything your mind could imagine as God dispenses his grace. You have no idea what the mind of God has prepared for you. Uh, and, and so you see this. Now you see again humanity. You see in fact the essence of humanity. They still don't get it. Even after all this they don't get it. It is amazing how little effect this parable uh, had on the 12 disciples. They were obsessed with special honor. Even after hearing of this episode in Matthew's account. And then, then we see this uh, in Matthew, uh, um, uh, in uh Um, excuse me, we see this in John, um, excuse me, Matthew 20, verses 20 to 21. Uh, The mother of the Zebedee sons, the mother of, that's James and John, their mother, soon came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked for a favor. Now, I want you to understand this. This is a typical Jewish mother. She's coming to Jesus. She's looking for a favor for her sons. What is it What is it you want, Jesus asked? she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 21. Have you not been listening to me? I mean, what I'm so amazed at Jesus is that he spends three years walking with people who didn't get it. They didn't get it. And what does this mean for you? It means you better have patience with people in your family. You understand? People who maybe don't understand God. People who don't understand the mercy and justice of God. You better have patience when you see this this going on. Uh, And this became a constant source of bickering, even in the disciples. We know this. Uh, Even in the upper room on the very night of Jesus' betrayal, and I had the chance and privilege to be in the place where that upper room was located. Obviously, it's not the same room, but it's right outside the streets of Jerusalem, which are only about eight feet wide. Uh, and uh, in that spot, uh, in the upper room, why do you think Jesus washed the feet of the disciples? Because they were still bickering over who would have preeminence in the kingdom. And he wanted to show them, there's no preeminence. I will be a servant. I will wash your feet. And when God himself stoops to wash your feet, then you recognize, in fact, that this is the economy of God. It's about serving. It's about bowing. It's about mercy. It's about grace. Uh, And so, uh, you see God really speaking in the most profound way uh, about the economy of heaven. Uh, and what this is. And so Jesus did that. He washed their feet. He prepared them uh, for what was to come. I'm going to uh, suspend the rest of this uh, study today and continue it next week as we continue to del- del- delve deeper into this parable, even as I start a new one. Let's bow our heads uh, and ask God to seal it. Father, I thank you so much for what you have taught us today. I thank you for, for this landowner, Father, who is you, Who in your graciousness you go out constantly to find those who need to be saved. And you in your sovereignty determine it. You in your sovereignty pour out grace that no human being would ever understand. We don't understand why the people at 6 o'clock in the morning get the same amount of grace as those at 5. We don't understand why the thief on the cross could come to be in heaven, Lord. We don't really understand that or even how a Nebuchadnezzar. But you do, Father, because you created us and your love is so enormous in every possible way. And so, Father, I ask that this lesson uh, continue to resonate in our hearts as we reflect on it this week. Be with our people, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.